When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. A note for listeners. This episode contains graphic descriptions of police violence. Do you know about Evans Njoroge? Have you ever heard of the name Evans Njoroge? Um, yeah, I didn't follow that case that well. He's a student, a uh, university student. I saw that on TV and I felt this ought not to have happened. Really, you don't have to lose a life. What's interesting about that case is how willing the police were to use force. That day started like any other day. He had posted, uh, a united front can never be defeated. I, I, I got a call at around 1 p.m. Um, and the person who called me, uh, he said, Monique, hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, can you check your Facebook? So he didn't tell me what is happening. He just told me, check. So I remember I took my phone. I just looked at the photo and uh, I just saw a, a person lying down and, and there was blood and uh, at first, I, I logged off. It was shocking. Then I was like, what? What did I just say? So I went back to that page. Only for me now to see, like, this is, this is my brother lying here. Everyone started calling. Everyone started calling. And now everyone was saying, Evans has been shot. He's dead. I'm Hind Hassan, and this is Strongman, a show about power and control. This story is about policing, specifically why young men in Kenya are being killed by the police. Like police forces around the world, the police in Kenya are meant to maintain law and order. But order is often left up to interpretation, and that can have deadly consequences. In the United States, mass protests in 2020 were sparked by the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor at the hands of the police. Similar protests against police violence also been happening in Kenya. And tonight, yet another case of alleged excessive force by police officers has led to the death of another Kenyan. In Kenya, police fired tear gas into 
to a group of school children. Stop killing us! Stop killing us! Stop killing us! In the US, policing and police violence are rooted in racism, tied to the country's history of slavery and colonization. In Kenya, which is a majority black country and has a majority black police force, the origins of modern day policing also go back to when the country was a British colony. And even after the British left and the country became independent, the way Kenyan police treat their own people reflects an authoritarian approach that was originally introduced by colonial rule. Evans Jiroge, also known by his nickname Kidero, is one of nearly a thousand young people who've been killed by police in Kenya in the last decade. Asham Wilu is a journalist who's been investigating police violence in Kenya for years. She interviewed Evan's sister, Monica Nungari Goroga, right after Evan's death. Now, two years later, she followed up on his story. The first time I met Monica, we sat on her brother's bed and talked about him. It was just weeks after he died, and it was really difficult to talk about. I worked for a TV news outlet at the time and was investigating cases of police brutality. I was really passionate about this. And Evans's case was making national headlines. It was a reminder of the many people who were dying at the hands of the police. No one was being held accountable, and people worried it would happen again with this case. Uh, who am I? Mm. <laughs> uh, Monica, Monica, who are you? I'm, I'm, I'm just a simple lady. Um, uh, I'm a mother of one. Evans and Monica grew up in a middle-class family in a town called Naivasha. It's yeah. about two hours north of Nairobi. It was, it was lovely because we, we are a big family. Uh, we are a family of seven, six girls and one brother. And we are known for laughing because it's like we are all, like the people say, life of the party. Like we are jovial, we are jubilant, and it was just great. Growing up, Evans had a ton of friends. A lot of the time they would hang out at his family's house after school. I, I remember even mom complaining, hey Evans, all these friends like, hey, Try and control, like, you can't be bringing everyone to your house. But he was loved. He was loved, and people loved to associate themselves with him. When it came time to go to university, Evans moved to the city of Meru. Because in Kenya, you don't really get to pick the college you go to. It's more of a placement system that's based on how well you test and what high school you went to which is how Evans ended up going to college about five hours from where he grew up. Meru is a big city in Kenya, but it's pretty spread out. And instead of concrete buildings and wide roads, you'll find lush landscapes of oak forests and farmlands. The city is in between Mount Kenya and a major national park, making its temperature warm during the day and really cool at night. Then when he went to Meru University, I, I think because of change of environment and everything, he was not as jovial. You could talk to him and you could feel like he has homesick. He feels like he's so far away from his mother. Like you could tell like he's really homesick and he's, he's feeling lonely. But he had this one close friend. His name is Tembo. 
Tembo was uh, nicknamed in Meru University the first week because uh, my name Njogu uh, actually refers to an elephant. An elephant in Kiswahili is Tembo. That's why I got that name. Tembo and Evans met during their first year at Meru University. We were not as good friends in our first year because uh, we were like dealing with totally different people. For him, he was like uh, quiet and uh, reserved. Reserved in a way, you know. But me, I was like, you know, the hype guy. <laughs> this is my first time talking to Tembo. He was wearing a suit jacket and jeans and smiled a lot when he was describing Evans. So when I first saw Evans, he was like a small young man. You'd say five, seven. Mm, he was brown. He was slender. Yeah. Was he an athletic guy? <laughs> no. He was slender, yes, but he couldn't run. He was the type of guy who, if he ran, he wouldn't actually release the whole speed. By Evans's second year, some things changed. He moved closer to Tembo, and their friendship blossomed. He started actually liking his university in Meru, despite some of its shortcomings. Things like not having running toilets, and the fact that buildings were falling apart. Sometimes, four students would have to live in a single dorm room. Yet, even with all those issues, the price of tuition kept increasing. So Evans got involved in student organizing and became the guy who would speak up about problems on everyone's mind. I would say, for us students, we used just to, to complain and do nothing about it. Himself, he would complain, go even to the offices, tell them this and that is missing. He would take the complaints to the right people. And I think that's what made him different from us, because for us, I think we used to fear. We had that fear or something. That, yeah, that is when I realized, like, even his plan, he wanted to be in Meru. I knew he loved Meru. I knew he wanted to stay in Meru. I knew he wanted to buy a land in Meru. Like, you could tell, you could tell, this, this is a person who loves where he is. By Evans's fourth year, he became secretary general, one of the highest positions you could have in student leadership. But things on campus weren't getting any better, and Evans wanted to do something about it. There was this time the school had hiked our school fees. I think they had hiked the school fees by 10,000 each student. 10,000 shillings. Each student. That's about $100 per yeah. student. Mm -hmm. As Tembo is talking about this, he's getting more worked up, saying that this is a lot of money for services that weren't working. You can tell this was a moment for Tembo and Evans. So a meeting is called with leaders on campus, and it was tense. Evans wanted to know what they were doing with the money. He said uh, he wanted the school to come up with a written uh, document on how that money was going to be used. Failure to that he would cause chaos. They didn't expect that because he was, uh, I think, the smallest in the group. <laughs> so they were like, who's this guy? Students had already been striking, showing how they were not happy with the increased school fees. But this, this was the catalyst. 
Students from Meru University of Science and Technology stormed a farmers' meeting demanding the removal of their Vice Chancellor Jafet Magambo. The students have been complaining about increased school fees and lack of proper services at the campus. On Tuesday, February 27, 2018, Evans, Tembo, and their friend started heading to the Meru Mau Road around 9 a.m. They quickly realized that other students had already begun protesting along the long road earlier in the day, so they decided to expand their location and cover more ground. As they were walking, an officer drove up to them. And uh, I think the driver of the police vehicle called Evans by name. He called him, Joroge, it's Mama Apo. Joroge stopped there. It seemed like the police wanted to arrest Evans. Tempo says they got scared and ran into a nearby parking lot for student housing. More students joined them. After 30 minutes, there was a big enough crowd to go back to the street and protest. And by this time, the media had arrived. Writing students pelted a Kenya Red Cross vehicle with stones and repulsed journalists. Tembo says the students ran and officers chased them. This went on for a while, but then the students scattered into a nearby farm. The police followed them. We had a gunshot. That's when we noticed we, don't, we, we didn't have Evans. Uh, I called him. His phone was not, he was not picking up. And then when I was there, someone sent me a photo. Tembo went in the direction of the gunshot. And then I saw him lying down. It was quite painful. His body was uh, in the middle of a farm. And... Uh, he seemed like he had knelt down. Uh, his phone was his, on his hand. He held his phone. And his shoes were off. He didn't have shoes. They were there, around. And uh, blood was all over there, on his head. Holes, one hole. It, one hole on this on this side of the head and the other on the other side. Actually, when I got there, I went to, you know, I didn't believe he was dead at first, so I went and uh, touched his, what do you call them? Trying to get his pulse. Pulse, yeah, and uh, it was too late. Five hours. That's how long Tembo says Evans' body was out for the students to see. Some put plants over his body since it was getting hot. Others debated leaving the farm, but were too scared they'd run into another police officer. All while the pictures had already started making their rounds on social media. After Monica saw the photos on Facebook, she called her dad and he took off for Meru in a Matatu bus. She was close behind him in another bus. I wanted my dad to get there before me because I wanted him to tell me it was not him. So the following morning, we had to visit the mortuary and that is when I confirmed he was really dead. Yep. Yep. I looked at him lying on, 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 on that table. My brother was shot. On his head, 
like you you could see you could see where the bullet had, had passed I, I remember calling him I, I i called his name i called him i called him i called him. We reached out to Mary University, the police, and an independent committee who investigated Evans's death. The university said they couldn't discuss the case, since it was still in court. The committee said the investigation is not public, and the police did not respond for comment. In my years of reporting, the police have been notorious for delaying investigations into extrajudicial killings, or sometimes obstructing justice completely. The accounts we do have mostly come from students who were there that day. According to student accounts, there were two police jeeps that followed them to the farms. One had a local police station logo, the other one was not marked. A man in uniform from the unmarked car got out of the vehicle and walked through the farms. It's unclear if he found Evans alone or he pulled him aside to be isolated. According to the autopsy, he was kneeling when the gunman pressed the weapon against his head and shot him, killing Evans instantly. My brother was a great person. Like, he was not a criminal. His only, his only problem was being a student leader. And he was doing what any other student leader would do. So, like, they had... They had no right to kill him. And to make it to make it even worse, to make matters worse, like being shot by a policeman. Like, what kind of a country are we living in? I mean, these are the same people like we should call when we are in trouble. Like, who do we call? Who do we call if the same police who are supposed to protect us are the same people who are killing us? Like We'll be back after this break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. And now, back to Asha. We have a problem of police. Journal Namu has spent more than a decade covering police brutality in Kenya. My, my deepest fear is that when it's too late, 
we shall then turn back and now, you know, like raise our hands and be like, what the fuck were we doing? You understand? That's, that's, that's my, my deepest fear. Namu is also a colleague. We worked together at a TV station in Nairobi called KTN. He's won international awards for his work on policing and founded his own independent news outlet, Africa Uncensored. His research also extends into the history of policing, which is key to understanding exactly what is happening right now. Remember that the, the British government had started to attract people here with very low land rates, very cheap land. And so the police were here, were formed essentially to protect these people, to offer them a sense of security. The Kenya police were created in 1902. At first, they were a mix of people who mostly policed British-controlled cities and farming areas. But at the time, most Kenyans were living in so-called native reserves. In these reserves, local Kenyan chiefs had their own tribal police. All police, regardless of where they were, received a salary from the colonial government. But they were relatively unregulated leaving some chiefs to exploit their power. Now, tribal policing was more rough and ready, you know, unprofessional, um, plagued by bribery, and because they gave these people who are chiefs and, and headmen a sense of um, ukubwa, you know, power, power authority. authority, that they did not have before. By the 1940s, the police force in cities and farmlands began to expand, to go into the native reserves, infringing on the local tribal police powers. This deepened resentment between local Kenyans and the police. At the same time, the police had increased responsibility, with little support. The small force was plagued with low salaries, illiterate officers, and training that mainly focused on physical drills. All the while, there was continued distrust of the police, especially after World War II. These guys came back. They had knowledge of how to fight, had seen white men die, um, had seen white men cry. But there was also this political consciousness that had been growing over time. That led to the founding of the Mau Mau movement. The Mau Mau movement grew into a grassroots political resistance against the British colonial government. And it was a big deal. In Nairobi, capital of Kenya, Europeans and Africans still walk the streets in fear of a dreaded Mau Mau. For it is that band of fanatics whose bloody deeds have cast a dark shadow across the face of Kenya. The Mau Mau resistance was created by a tribe called the Kikuyus. In 1952, the colonial government declared a state of emergency after calling the group dangerous. And for the colonial government, they were. For in this land, there is fear of those fanatical natives who aim to drive out the white man and who have murdered many who stood in their path. In one case, members of the Mau Mau violently killed four people in an incident called the Rak Family Massacre. Pictures of a boy's bloodied bed made the rounds in newspapers, heightening fear of the Mau Mau. But the Mau Mau's ultimate goal was to topple colonial rule and return land to Kenyan ownership and control. Nairobi police have been supplemented by hundreds of civilians, many of them women, to help round up the Mau Mau bandits. 
In this archival video, you see a woman sitting at a table with a man, probably in their house. Then the camera flips to the outside, where a police car is driving through the streets. In other shots, officers are marching, and others are searching for what looks like IDs from black Kenyans. It's clear propaganda by the British, who are using the whole force of the colonial state, including police, to fight against anyone who was even perceived to be associated with the Mau Mau resistance. I want to stress that the Mau Mau did kill people, but the reaction of the British army was disproportionately violent. There was a police and then there was also the army. The role that the police played was to be a sort of scaffolding to what the army would do in this time period. And a lot of members of the British army were brought here to fight against the Mau Mau. It was to completely crush the movement, completely. The police force expanded faster in nine weeks than it ever had in the past nine years. It was all happening so fast that there was little time for training. During the emergency period, there was two objectives of the justice system, to stamp out criminality, but the biggest focus of, of the justice and, and the enforcement system at that time was to crush African descent. The Mau Mau were fully defeated in 1956. A British commission would later say that this time completely altered the state of policing in the colony, transforming it into a quasi-military organization. This kind of policing would continue beyond independence in 1963, beginning with the first president, Jomo Kenyatta. Did he reform the police force? Mm, not really. Kenyatta and the police got along. He worked with the police commissioner during the transfer of power to give more Africans senior positions. What was the view of the police at the time? The view of the police, I think there was a lot of excitement that finally we'd have people who ruled us that were our colour and, and there was a lot of optimism. If I hear, if I listen to the stories of my dad and my grandfather, there was a lot of optimism at that time about how Kenya would be ruled. That optimism would dwindle by the time Kenyatta left office. Vice President Daniel Toroitich Arap Moy became the next president. He was in office from 1978 to 2002. That's 24 years. And so you see the corruption of a police service that harkens back to what would happen with the tribal police in terms of bribery, toaki to kidogo, you know, give us something small. It became a bit of a saying in the 90s that then starts to deepen over time. So Mwai Kibaki became the next president. Similar to Moi, Kibaki stamped down any opposition, using security forces and stoking ethnic tensions. In 2007, when Kibaki ran for office again, Nearly 2,000 people were killed, and more than half a million Kenyans were displaced from their homes. I remember in 2007 how this election became a turning point for many, especially those in newsrooms at the time. It was like staring history right in the face. In 2010, people rallied for a new constitution, which included some major police reforms, and one year later, a group called IPOA was created. IPOA's job was to police the police in Kenya. When I covered the story, my initial reaction to IPOA was optimism. 
that perhaps this was what Kenyan police needed to embrace reforms. I also thought they would face big challenges balancing the public's interests and the police. But despite all these changes in power, a new constitution and an independent committee that's dedicated to policing, documented police killings have continued to go up almost every year, including 2018, the year that Evans was killed. It's happening in Madare, it's happening in Kibera, it's happening in Lesos, it's happening in Meru, right? So there's a thread there. But oftentimes we don't think about it that way because ah, this is how it's always been and therefore, you know, there's that level of acceptance. I mean, if we were to talk about the issue of police brutality and what we're seeing today, the people who are killed the most are young men between the ages of 18 and 35 living in specific parts of this country. Young men. It's happening everywhere. Who else has been defined in this same way for a number of years? Who, right? Was it not the George Floyds? Was it not the, you know, all of these people who have been a part of American history? And why is it that because it is not black versus white, somehow we think those kind of fractures don't exist here? If we do not have the empathy to open our eyes, then we will never see it. There are claims that police have a bias towards a certain category of Kenyans. Mm -hmm. So young men, mm -hmm. mainly from informal settlements, mm -hmm. are more likely to fall prey to you know, becoming victims of police brutality that result in, in deaths. If you check crime, you might find that because of the population sizes and concentration, you might find you have more cases of crime. This is Anne Makori, chairperson of the board at Aipoa, whose job is to police the police in Kenya. And when I ask her about what Namu said, if police target young men from poor areas, she tells me that those areas have more crime, that that's why they're more heavily policed. Her response is easy to miss. So I ask again. Perhaps let me clarify my question, because it's not about how Aipoa treats these people, but when you look at the data, does it point to a certain trend that the victims perhaps are from a specific group, which is young men in informal settlements? Uh, I would say probably, just like I've said before, if you look at demographics, uh, concentration of populations, uh, anywhere, even in the up market, who are likely to commit offence, more, more, the, the more energised, the, the, the more informed, the more dissatisfied. Do you see when a crime occurs? Police will go and they won't care whether you are an offence was committed, a crime was committed yesterday or in the morning and another one in the afternoon. Their key responsibility is to protect lives and properties. I think that's where the controversy comes in and where people question this issue of, of excessive use of force, especially when it comes to deaths. So if the police mandate is to protect lives and property, mm -hmm. And they get to a location where, you know, a couple of people will be killed and some of them are claimed to be criminals, some innocent. So where is the protection of, of lives or mm. which lives are being protected? Mm. Yeah, I hear you. But, um, yeah, it depends on, on a lot of other factors. It, it depends on a lot of other factors. But I would also say, where do we find most police officers being beaten up? because they're also beaten up. Mm. Where do you find police officers being beaten up? It's the same 
it's in the same locality. So chances are they will be resisted, there will be an attempt to beat them up and uh, as much as, uh, uh, and I would say, as I poor, maybe if you also check our data, the trends we might find we have more cases from from such communities because that's where it all happened. We don't we don't excuse, but uh, uh, again, I would say it's very difficult for me to answer for the police. And by all means, I don't even want you to answer for the police. It's sort of remarkable that we got Ipoa to talk to us. But this interaction happened towards the end of our interview, when she started talking about informal settlements. Her point is that police violence happens in these poor neighborhoods because that's where the criminals are. And sometimes these criminals beat police officers up too. Some police argue they need to show their strength to keep order against dangerous criminals, to defend themselves. This show of strength harkens back to Kenya and emergency rule. It's the same logic that justified brutality during the Mau Mau resistance 70 years ago. And during my years of reporting, I've seen that thinking being used to justify police violence, whether for the sake of protecting property or keeping peace at a university protest today. Now, Evans Njoroge was middle class. He wasn't from an informal settlement, but he was still affected by police brutality. After Evans's death, Ipoa began investigating right away, and within a month, they submitted a recommendation to the district office to charge a local police officer named Liki Minor. Minor was held in custody for two weeks and charged with murder. He pled not guilty, then was released a day later on a 200,000 shilling cash bail, about $2,000. The case is still pending until the next hearing on March 31st. But also what has delayed that case was every time it came up at some point, um, there were riots. There were riots, the, the, the Mary University students would riot and make it almost impossible for the court to hear that case. Ipoa can't prosecute anyone, but they did recommend to suspend Maina. But it's not clear if the police did anything, and it can be difficult to get an answer, even for the people who work at Ipoa. I haven't established that, huh? whether he was suspended, but you would expect that they would do what is right in law. You don't think the reasons for the postponement are valid? The policeman had been arrested and then discharged for murder. I mean... They can't be valid. Here's Tembo again, Evans's best friend from Meru University. Someone who has murdered someone, that's uh, quite a big case, you know, has been postponed around six times. We go to Meru, the judge is not there. We go to Meru, imagine traveling from here to Meru every time and you're going back home with nothing, you haven't done anything. Tembo says he doubts justice will ever come. I feel like we've never have we've we've never had an 
a good time to mourn him, you know, like without being just reminded of what happened. Because every time, every time you go to that court, you have to remember, like, this is what happened to your brother. And it's, it's so painful. It's so tiring. At times I feel like I just want it to end. I just want it to end. For me, I, I, I feel, I feel so angry, like, and at times I wish the anger would go away because they took, they took, they took a precious thing from us, like, this is someone who had a bright future. They chose to kill him. And for what? And for what? And to see that two years down the line, we've never, we've never gotten justice. It's, it's just so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking and it's tiring. And we should move past it, but we can't. It's been three years since Evans died. He left behind a lot of family. His parents, his sister, friends, nieces, nephews. I talk to my son a lot. Even making him understand, like, what happened to his uncle. He knows he was shot by a policeman. And I remember him asking me, Mama, police, policemen shot, sh shoot people. So it has changed me in a way, yeah. Yeah. You know, when we went to his... <clears throat> I want to believe he's happy. Maybe what he was fighting for came to be. But how I wish he was there to experience. Because he always said, this, I, I want this university to be a great university. I feel like everyone has forgotten about my brother, like someone needs to remind them who Evans was, how he died and why he died. Evans's death made headlines in 2018 and people know his name. When I would take a cab to interviews, drivers would remember his case and they also knew nothing really came of it. Today, the case is still ongoing. Hearings are set to resume on March 31st. The courts have been backlogged due to the pandemic, but at the same time, police violence has only continued. When lockdowns were in place in early 2020, a stray bullet fired by police killed a 13-year-old boy named Yasin Hussein Moyo while he was standing on his apartment balcony. Violence was used to enforce a strict lockdown. It's this kind of emergency that has been the norm for police since the Mau Mau resistance. And this force, it's supposed to be for the good of Kenyans, to protect them from COVID, the Mau Mau, or whatever else is considered a threat at a given moment. This kind of authoritarian approach happens all over the world. In the US, the threat is black people. In Kenya, it's young, poor African men. And people justify or support it because the police are supposed to provide order and safety. 
But policing is often less about protection and more about a precedent of wielding and abusing power. It is that recklessness that, led, that leads to death. It is that willingness to draw your weapon that has led to death. This is Namu again. Why is that? Why aren't the reforms working? Because, well, there are a number of reasons. But the reason I'll speak about is that it's become a culture issue, right? It's, it's a culture of violence because we've changed the law, right? The law was changed back in 2010, but 10 years down the road. We have changed governments. We've had two elections in between 2010 and now. There are different people leading various institutions. So the changes should have happened but they're not happening as fast as they, they are because culture is a much, much harder thing to erase than law. Next time on Strongman. Sexual violence is everywhere in the world, but the problem in Egypt is that we're silent about it. You went from a moment where you were like, this is incredible what we're watching, I feel empowered. And so the easiest way for the state to have a chilling effect on society is to target women. Strongman is a production of Vice News. It's hosted by me, Hint Hassan. Stephanie Kariuki is our senior producer. This episode was reported and narrated by Asham Willu from Debunk Media. Our producers are Pete Langstanson and Pulavi Kotamasu. Our associate producer is Sam Egan. Our field producer is Paula Rogo. Sound design and original score by Pran Bandi. Annie Aviles is our executive producer. Kate Osborne is the VP of Vice Audio. Special thanks to Michelle Harris for fact-checking. Thanks also to Daniel Wasangula, David Anderson, Andrew Latham, Happy Alfonsoire, and AMP Studios Africa. We know that podcasts say this all the time, but if you could please take a moment to rate and subscribe. It helps others to find the show and it helps us to keep bringing you podcasts like Strongman. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.